You're listening to the Liberty Grace Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit libertygrace.ca. Okay, are you ready for some good news today? Anyone? Here's the good news. It's summer. I'm ready for good news. When things are bad, there's even more potential for godly people to do good. That's a great news. Uh, when things are going downhill, uh, when society is looking like it's uh, straining, things are going not so well, one person, one godly person, has the potential to affect change. One person can change the spiritual temperature of things. One person can make a difference. I really believe that. Uh, we're going through the Bible this year. Uh, we're doing this crazy thing of, uh, we began on January the 1st in Genesis 1, God willing, uh, the end of the year, we're going to end up in Revelation, uh, the end of Revelation. And it's been interesting. Right now we are uh, through one of the low points. We're through uh, kind of the rough point in the history of uh, Israel and Judah. As the introduction was uh, said, uh, 200 years, for 200 years, things have been going really badly. I want you to think about that. 200 years. Think of Toronto 200 years ago. Can you imagine for 200 years, 200 years ago, British, uh, the British Army came from what is now Canada and set fire to the White House in Washington, D.C. Uh, 200 years ago, the population of Toronto was 1,200 people. Imagine for 200 years, where if this area had been in, in spiritual decline, and yet that's what we understand happened, for 200 years, things had been going the wrong way. Can one person make a difference? The person that we are looking at today shows us yes. One person can make a difference. Not a perfect person, as we're going to see. Uh, I'm comforted by that because are there any perfect people here? I don't see any hands. You don't have to be a perfect person. God can use a godly, growing, but flawed and perfect person to make a difference, especially if that person trusts God. So let's look at this person and uh, see what it is that enabled them to make a difference. I have three things I wanna show you about this person. Here's the first. First, one person can make a difference by leading others to worship. One person can make a difference by leading others to worship. So his name was Hezekiah. If you read about the kings before Hezekiah, this is generally what you'd hear. This is almost exhausting as you read the Bible. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his uh, God, as his father David had done. He did not do right. He did not do right. Uh, king after king after king. It gets depressing as you're reading this part of the Bible. You hear like this a lot. All the kings of Israel, every single one. And depending on your count, Half the, of the 12 kings of Judah, before the one that we're looking at today, were bad. In fact, things get so bad in 2 Kings 17 that God says, I'm done with Israel. And in ver chapter uh, 17, verse 18 of 2 Kings, he says, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. So things are bad. And along comes one person who decides to take God seriously. Along comes one person who says, 
I just want to worship God. I want to do what kings, like every king should have done. I want to worship God. We read in uh, the passage that we just read in 2 Chronicles 29 that Hezekiah comes 25 years old. So pause here. Sometimes we think we have to be a certain age to make a difference. 25 years old. He just comes and he says, like, by the way, I'm so encouraged by godly young people who take God seriously. Uh, one of the joys I have is seeing, I'm 56 this year. Like, I'm not young anymore. When I see a 25-year-old who's like, I'm all in on God, I'm just like, whatever God says, I'm in. I'm doing it. Well, this guy is 25 years old, and he begins to raise 29 years in Jerusalem. Okay, pause here. Some of you are young enough that as you look forward, you've got decades of influence left. You've got multiple decades to make a difference for God. And so we read, in the first of his reign, in the first month, not later, but right away at a very young age, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests, the Levites. He assembled them on the square. He said to them, hey guys, I'm paraphrasing here. We've got to worship God. We've got to get back to what things should have been like all along. Get rid of the filth from the holy place. Our fathers have been unfaithful. That's in the past. We're going to worship God. And he just led people to begin to worship God. I love this. I love every word of this. Man, one man comes to power. One man decides to go a different way than everybody before him. One man makes a difference. We read in these, by the way, it takes about 40 minutes. Hezekiah is so important in the Bible that if you were to take every verse about his life, it would take the whole 40, I'm only preaching for 35 minutes here, it would take 40 minutes just to read his events. But let me just tell you, he got rid of the idols, he reinstated the Passover, he reorganized the priests, he brought reform to the whole way that Judah worship. One person called the entire nation to worship God. So what happened? Well, we read in 2 Chronicles 31, 26, so there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. By the way, I love that. Uh, I used to think that following God was like, okay, we have to do it. Like everybody, let's go to church. It's not gonna be fun, but we have to do it. If you read the Bible, that is not how the God, the true God is. It is joyful. Uh, desiring God, it's like our hearts become enlarged, our affections become enlarged for God. We come alive. It's almost like spiritually something that was dead comes alive, our hearts are reawakened, and there's joy. Can you imagine there was great joy in Jerusalem? Everyone's like, oh, this is what we were made for. Like, what were we doing all this time? God is great. What were we doing not worshiping God? He led others to delight in God, not just to do religious duties, but actually to delight in God. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Daryl, he was a king. I'm not a king. You're right. But here's what I've noticed. One person who is not a king, who decides to take God seriously, can affect more people than you realize. One ordinary person. One person who leans in in a church. I'm watching you. One thing I love about this church, right now I'm preaching, 
you don't know that I can see you. I know that because I've sat in congregations. You think you're invisible. Like you think there's a cloak that when the pastor's preaching, they don't see you. And so some of you are doing whatever and you're like, it's okay, he can't really see us. I see you. I see the way you lean in. I see the way that you're hungry for God's word. Let me tell you, one person who leans in and who says, I'm gonna be a person of prayer. I'm gonna be a person who, like when the word is preached, I'm just gonna be soaking it in. I'm gonna be like, God, give me a heart for you. One person can infect an entire church. One person can say to a church, I'm done playing games. I am serious about God, I am serious. I want, you, I want you to join me in being serious for God. And how do I know this? We are approaching our 10th anniversary as a church. There have been a number of times when somebody, a gift from God has come into the church and leaned in and said, I'm all in. And you know what I've noticed? It's, it's never been, as far as I can tell, it's always been like one or two key people at certain times. And you know what I've noticed? They changed the entire temperature of the whole church. And then, you know what's interesting? Sometimes they leave, and I'm like, it's over. Like, these two key people have left. They're infecting everyone. And you know what God does? God brings in two more people. And they lean in, and, and they raise the spiritual temperature of the church. I wrote these words a couple of years ago, and I, I was reading them again this week. I still mean every word. I've been pastor for a long time now. One thing I've learned, one or two people can make a huge difference in a church, both positively and negatively. I've seen this over and over. One or two people can positively affect the entire feel of a church and lead others to faithfulness by their example. As a pastor, I can feel the difference when these people are present in the church. A lot of us think that our influence is negligible. Never underestimate the power of living as a faithful follower of Jesus in a local church. Do radically ordinary things. Show up every Sunday. Look for somebody to encourage. Pray, serve, lead in during the sermon. Not only will you benefit, but others will see your example and begin to take these steps too. Given enough time as others join you, God might shape the entire direction of the church through your example. And then I say this, because I've been a pastor a long time. Pastors uh, can tend to be consumed with high maintenance people. Uh, as a church, we don't have high maintenance people. God has been good. It's been one of the blessings that we have here. But it's easy for low maintenance people just to be looked over in favor of the high maintenance people. But here's what I wrote. Sometimes low maintenance believers don't get much attention in a church. They just faithfully show up and encourage. But don't overlook the power of what a few godly people in a church can do. Pray for them, encourage them, thank God for them. They might be easy to overlook, but they're one of God's gracious provisions to the church. What I'm trying to say is not just the church, if you take God seriously like Hezekiah, God might be pleased to use your ordinary life to be an influence to others. One person can make a difference. In fact, the worse things get, the more there's a power of just one person who says, I'm just gonna take God seriously. I'm just gonna make my life all about him. The more God can use an ordinary person like this. That's the first thing we learn from Hezekiah's life. But here's the second. Um, the first thing that we learn is all it takes is one person. God can use one godly person. But here's the second thing. One person can make a difference by trusting God in times of trouble. One person can make a difference by trusting God in times of trouble. So who are you under stress? Who are you when things get hard? 
One thing I've learned about myself is uh, my stress responses. We all have them, right? Uh, under stress, we are not our best selves. Under stress, we react in certain ways. Uh, for instance, if you were, if you got to know me really well, if you saw me under stress, you would see that uh, Char is very, just I is very familiar with these, some of my tendencies, and they're able to call me out on it, like, don't do that. Like, you're, I get more rigid. I get more, uh, I just get, I withdraw. I, that's who I am under stress, apart from God. Well, who are you under stress? We all have stress responses. The thing I love about Hezekiah is that he didn't just worship God when things were well, but what was a stress response when he was under attack, when he was under trouble? He trusted God even when it was hard. Uh, one of the incidents in Hezekiah's life is described in Isaiah 36. And it was his 14th year of reigning. And so it's been a number of years that Hezekiah is just like, we're all about God, like we're gonna worship God. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So this is bad news, right? Uh, it's like, this is really bad. Assyria was a major world power. They'd already carried Israel into exile. And it's ridiculously scary to have this happen. Imagine having a foreign nation invade, one that had already taken your neighbor and taken them into exile. So that's bad news. Hezekiah is in a lot of trouble. But not only that, but they taunt him publicly. The Assyrians actually show up, and in front of everybody's hearing, they say, the Lord, the God of Israel, has sent us here. And so everyone's listening to this, and they're so confused, like, what's going on? These guys are here, and they're saying it's actually the Lord that sent them. And then they yell out for everybody here. They say, the king of Assyria has a message for you, Hezekiah. And what are you trusting? Do you think that mere words and our strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust? And he says, uh, things are so bad, like we'll give you 2,000 horses. If you, could, if you have enough riders, you probably don't. We'll give you 2,000 riders, we'll still crush you. So they're taunting. Everyone's listening going, oh my word. Like imagine if the state somehow got ticked at us and said, here's some tanks. Like just to make it a bit more even, let me just give you some tanks, good luck. Like you're dead. And it's bad. They're saying, how can you repulse a single captain when you trust Egypt? They're taunting. What does Hezekiah do? He feels afraid, of course. Who wouldn't? But then he prays. He prays. Isaiah 37 says this. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it uh, before the Lord, the, all the threats, all the bad things that were happening. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth incline your ears, O Lord. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see uh, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to mock the living God. And then he says, so now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord, the Lord. And a question for you, there's 185,000 people, uh, the army encamped around uh, the city at that point. Is prayer gonna do anything, honestly? Like, would you say like, you know what, prayer's good, but we gotta get an army together. Like, what's our strategy, right? Would you think that there's, like, what's gonna happen here? A lot of people would say, 
don't waste your time praying. Like, get the priest to pray. You're the king. You need to get an army together. You're wasting your time. Prayer is not going to answer this. But Hezekiah says, we've got to trust God. We've got to pray. And we read in Isaiah 37, 36, without Hezekiah lifting a finger, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down the whole army of 185,000, uh, the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all these dead bodies. I remember the first time reading that, I just, my jaw dropped. Like, I remember I, remember I was uh, a young adult, and I remember reading that, and my, I was just like, wow. God, what does it take if we're just like, God, we do, our strategy's not enough. When we run into problem, there's gonna be problems we run into. You can have the best strategy in the world, good luck. We're gonna all face situations that are beyond our capacity to handle. The power of simple trust in God, the power of coming to God and saying, God, we're spreading this out before you. We don't have what it takes, we need you. You have what it takes, we need you right now. By the way, this isn't the only time Hezekiah faced a crisis. This one's gonna get, you're gonna see in a minute, it, it's double-sided, but in 2 Chronicles 32, he gets sick, and he was at the point of death. And we read in 2 Chronicles 32 that he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. Hezekiah trusted God. We see him in two crises. In both crises, crises he prays to God. He says, God, I need you. The power of a godly person who says, I'm worshiping God. I don't know about the rest of you. I'm worshiping God. The power of a, a person who just says, when I get into trouble, I'm turning to God. I'm in crisis, I need God. The impact of somebody who does this is profound. What do you do when you face a crisis? One person can make a difference by trusting God in times of crisis. One person can demonstrate to others what it means to trust God in times of trouble. One person can show others that it's worth trusting God when we face impossible situations. I love Ray Orland, who says this, commenting on this passage. Are we shocking anybody by our faith? Is anybody looking at us going, wow, look how much they trust God? If God were to show us in one instant the full meaning of living by faith, we would all gasp and say, nobody can live like that. That's why he keeps throwing our lives into upheaval. Isn't that interesting? Could it be that one of the problems he keeps, one of the reasons why God allows trouble in our lives is because he's teaching us to trust him. That's why Ray Orland says God keeps throwing our lives into upheaval. He wants us to experience what it's like for him to come through when the only thing that will suffice is what is directly and immediately of God. I've had that experience of hanging on to God because he's all that I've got left. I've had that experience of like, if I let go of God, I've got nothing. Like there's, this week has been a brutal week. I've got two friends, one lost his son. His son tragically went to, anyway, long story, he lost his son. Another friend of mine, his marriage suddenly ended tragically. It's been a rough week. You get to the point when you're losing a son, when you're losing a marriage suddenly, all you've got is God. You thought you had other stuff to hang on to, you've got nothing to hang on to. Who are you when you have that kind of trouble? Where do you turn when you face impossible situations? Hezekiah shows us where we can turn. We can always turn to God. One person can make a difference by leading others to worship. One person can make a difference by trusting God in times of trouble. 
But there's one more thing we see in this passage. One person can make a difference by repenting quickly when they sin. One person can make a difference when they repent quickly when they sin. One of the dangers of preaching somebody like Hezekiah is you can, you and I can think like, oh, well, I'll never be Hezekiah. Like, this guy was perfect. Like, how amazing is he, right? He actually is good. And that's an amazing thing in scripture. Uh, we're over halfway through scripture now. And if you've been following along, you've probably noticed that there haven't been many really good people in bi the Bible. That is so refreshing. The story of scripture is not like good people and God's like, there's, there's a good one, I'll bless him. Like a lot of us believe in karma, that God looks for good people and is like, I'll reward you because you're so good. You know the message of the Bible? God gives grace to people who don't deserve it. God gives, he keeps showing up and people who don't deserve his grace, that's the definition of grace. God keeps blessing people who mess up over and over. He teaches them to trust him well, enter Hezekiah. He's good, but he's not perfect. Like David, he's pretty close to David, but David made a really tragic mistake, and so did Hezekiah. After God healed him, uh, Hezekiah prayed and said, God, heal me. And the story is told in length. I'm going to give you the short version simply because of time. Second Chronicles 32:25 says this, Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. For his heart was proud. Oh, no. If you know pride when it shows up in the Bible, it's always a major warning sign. Like, whenever somebody gets proud, you and I think, ah, not too bad. Like, it's always like, oh, no. Like, what's going to happen here? And then we read, therefore wrath came down upon him and on Judah and Jerusalem. You see here, one of the sad things is when we sin, when we become proud, we don't, remember I said we can infect others with our godliness? The sad reality is we can infect others with our sin. When we become proud, just like we can raise the spiritual temperature of a church, we can bring down the spiritual temperature of the church. We can become proud. We can begin to think we're something. And here's what I've learned. I mean, this is straight from the Bible, but I've learned it in reality. The Bible says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Do you want God to oppose you? Any, raise your hands here. Anyone want God to oppose you? Okay. I'm terrified. Like, you want God against you? Become proud. As Jack Miller said, grace flows downhill. Like, if you want God to bless you, if you want God's blessing to pour out on you, the way to that is to ask God to give you a humble heart, to make sure that humble, humility, by the way, isn't that you think you're nothing. Humility is that you just start serving others. You're not thinking of yourself. You're about loving God. You're making him great. You're not concerned about yourself. You're loving others. Humility isn't thinking you're dirt. Humility is not thinking, as Tim Keller says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself or, or thinking like you're nothing. It's actually not thinking about yourself at all. That's humility. Well, Hezekiah became proud. And when Hezekiah repented, it was a sad story. The, it was actually uh, disastrous for Jerusalem. The effects on Jerusalem, as we're going to see later, are bad. In, and God gives a reprieve because he repents. And Hezekiah even then blows it. He says, oh, you're going to punish Jerusalem, but not in my time? Good. Like, they'll suffer later, but at least I'm off the hook. Even then was like, come on, Hezekiah. Like, you're almost there, but you blew it still. But here's the point. God heard his prayer. Second Chronicles 32:26 says, 
When Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. It came later, but God gave them a reprieve. See, God is gracious. I love the balance here. Our sin still has consequences. When you turn to God and repent, it doesn't wipe the slate clean of the earthly consequences of your sin. Like if you blow up your marriage, you turn to God for forgiveness, it doesn't mean God's gonna erase all the consequences of your betrayal. If you dishonor God, if you go on social media and make a jerk of yourself and get fired and you say, God, forgive me, it doesn't mean you'll be rehired. Like there's still consequences. But God, when you turn to God, when you run to him, if you say, God, I'm sorry, you never have to wonder, will God receive you? He will receive you with open arms. He, your sins were paid for at the cross, all of them. He gives full and complete pardon. He never brings it up again. He removes them as far as the east is from the West. A lot of you sometimes talk to me and say, I don't know if I can make a difference. I'm so imperfect. Like people at work know that I'm inconsistent, that I mess up, that sometimes I've done wrong things. They know my mistakes. What if you became a great repenter? What if you became known as somebody at work that just owned your faults and said, you know, you remember when I did that? I was so wrong. I'm running to my, like, I need forgiveness from God. I'm far from perfect. I have a great savior. I'm not great. What if we became known as people who are quick to repent? See, the reality is we're all imperfect. Apart from Jesus, he's the only one who is perfect. Apart from him, we need God's grace. But we can become really good repenters. We can flee from our sin. We can be quick to turn back to God, to show others what it looks like when we sin. By the way, when you're tempted to sin, you need to be told of the consequences of that sin. When you're tempted to sin, you need to be told this is death. Like what you're actually pursuing is death. You need to fear sin. You need to, like as you're approaching sin, you need to see the weight, the seriousness of sin to run from it. But once you've sinned, you know what you need to see? You need to see your savior. You need to put the guilt away. You need to make a beeline to the cross. You need to say, Father, you don't have to hesitate. You don't have to uh, beat yourself up. You flee from your sins. You run to your Savior and say, I believe there is grace for me. I run to the cross. Lord, I repent. I never want to do that again. Receive me with your grace. Tim Keller said this. In an age where we think that what the world needs is like really slick people, charismatic leaders. We need like amazingly gifted people. Here's what he says. And he's saying about pastors, but I think he's saying about like all of us. What we need most is someone who's been broken by the knowledge of his or her sin and has an even greater knowledge of God's or Jesus' costly grace. The number one leaders in a church ought to be the people who repent the most fully without excuses. It, wouldn't that be great if the thing that pastors were known for is there's a guy who knows he's a sinner and he's a really good repenter. Like he's not proud, he's humble. He believes he needs God's grace. He's the first like I tell you guys, when we're at communion sometimes, I feel like, like the only time of the week I want to get aggressive and say, move out of the way, like I need to be first, like I need this more than the rest of you here. It, wouldn't it be great if that's what pastors were known for, just like I am nothing, but I, God is everything. And Tim Keller goes on to say, no excuses, they repent the most fully because you don't need any excuses now. The most easily without bitterness, the most publicly and the most joyfully. Here's what I want to tell you, friends. One person can make a difference. 
Not because any of us is great, but because God can use one person who surrenders to him. God can use one godly person who says, I'm all in on following Jesus. Especially in dark times, it might be that God, some of you are 25, some of you are 35, some of you are 45. God can use you. You've got years ahead of, decades ahead of you by God's grace. God can use your life. One person can make a difference by leading others to worship, trusting God in times of trouble, and repenting quickly when they sin. And so, Lord, thank you for the example of Hezekiah. I thank you for the example of not a perfect man, but a man who chose to trust you, a man who chose to not follow the trend. Um, instead of following the way that everybody else did, he actually just said, I'm going to take God seriously. And Lord, what, I've seen this over and over again, what one person can do when they stand up and say, I want that too. And Lord, when we sin, because we're not going to get it right, that we're the first to confess, to repent to you, to run to the cross, uh, to flee the path that uh, took us to sin, to run back to you and cling to your grace again. Lord, I thank you that you've blessed our church consistently with people like this. I pray that you would fill this church with people like that. I pray that this would be a place where we experience what God can do through a weak, ordinary person who trusts you and makes much of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.